Welcome to what I'm calling the branching out episode of the Dave Pash podcast. I'm your host, Dave Pash, longtime ESPN play-by-play announcer and voice of the Arizona Cardinals. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals and Gila River Hotels and Casinos. You can also follow us on Twitter at PashPod. You know, one of the things we wanted to accomplish with this podcast was to make it unique by having on guests from the world of sports and entertainment to talk more than just the Arizona Cardinals and the NFL, but of course, making that part of the conversation. So when the NFL schedule was released and the podcast was in the works, there was a particular guest that I wanted to get on to talk about the Cardinals' week one opponent, the Tennessee Titans. Actor James Roday, now known as James Roday Rodriguez. He stars in the ABC drama A Million Little Things, which debuted in 2018 and is entering year four in prime time. But Roday is best known for playing fake psychic Sean Spencer in the hit TV show Psych, which ran for eight seasons from 2006 to 2014 and still lives on in movie form. Psych 3, This Is Gus, is due out this winter. Roday is one of the nation's biggest Tennessee Titan fans. In fact, if you follow him on Twitter, or the Titans for that matter, you will see them retweeting each other constantly. Roday talks about how he became a Titans fan, his thoughts on how far this team can go this season, and where he was during the Music City Miracle January 8, 2000. Roday also talks about his hit show Psych, his favorite episode, his love for Val Kilmer, and wrestler-slash-actor John Cena. Sports has a way of bringing people together, especially in a family. If the game's on, it's a great reason to gather together as a family and root for your favorite team. A good TV show has the same effect. It certainly did for my family. No matter how busy I was, my wife, three kids were, from 2006 to 2014, we always found a way to watch the TV show Psych together and then watch the reruns over and over again. So if you're looking for a good laugh with obscure references to 1980s music and movies, some cool mysteries, some semi-spoofs on everything from The Exorcist to werewolves, vampires, and even One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and The Bachelorette, do yourself a favor and check out Psych. Now here's James Roday Rodriguez on the Dave Pash Podcast. James, before we started the interview, I talked about A Million Little Things, Psych, and I definitely want to go back and touch on those things, but when I saw the schedule and that the Cardinals were playing the Titans week one, I knew I wanted to have you on because you're such a huge Titans fan. I always see you tweeting about the Titans during the season. I always see the Titans retweeting you. I know you're from San Antonio, so I'm guessing you were an Oilers fan at some point. Tell me how your fascination with the Titans started. Yeah, man, uh, you're pretty intuitive there. Yeah, grow up in San Antonio, you get to choose uh, between the Cowboys and the Oilers. My entire family were diehard, like obnoxiously diehard Cowboys fans. Uh, so I saw it as an opportunity to, to piss everybody off and uh, go against the grain. And, you know, the, the laugh was certainly on me for a good chunk of those early years because uh, the Oilers were horrible. Uh, and the Cowboys were winning Super Bowls. But it all kind of balanced out uh, as I got into my 20s, and and it was really fun to watch the Cowboys suck 
for uh, for a while. And now I have to be honest, it's been so long since they've done anything that it's really not even that satisfying anymore <laughs> uh, to watch them be to watch them be crappy. So uh, that's that's what it was. But then you know, amidst all of that, I really did come to love that team, to love the Oilers, to love the old Campbell Oilers. Uh, to truly love the the Steve McNair and Eddie George Oilers, which which are the team that moved to Tennessee, so it was a really easy uh, decision for me uh, to go with the team when when they moved to to Nashville because I had no allegiance to the city of Houston. I really love those guys. Like that was probably the 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 Warren Moon run and shoot was a fun team to watch, but they always flamed out in the playoffs. So it, it was really the Eddie and Steve teams that I think defined the franchise for me. And now here I am, dude, just all these years later, have to bleed blue and tighten up every year. Well, they're obviously one of the best teams in the AFC, so you've got a lot to cheer about. Last year, the end was a little bit disappointing uh, in the playoffs against Baltimore. What, what are your thoughts on the 2021 season? Are you picking this team to make it out of the AFC? Because obviously you have Kansas City, you got Buffalo, you still have Baltimore, Cleveland's going to be much better. But there are people out there that feel the Titans, because of the addition of Julio Jones, the passing attack is better. Yeah, man, I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, I don't think our for a playoff team, I don't think our defense could have been much worse last year. So uh, the idea that we got a couple new pieces, um, you know, hopefully can put a little more pressure on the quarterback, uh, excites me. Uh, we got a couple new kids in the secondary. It'll be uh, trial by fire, but. If they're as good as advertised, then I feel like we should make improvements on the defensive side of the ball. And then on offense, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And we even added Julio. Now, I think everybody should probably keep their Julio expectations in check. Uh, This is the 32 going on 33-year-old Julio who's been banged up. But the good news is he's not having to come in and, and be the alpha dog, right? He gets to come in and take advantage of of all the double coverage that A.J. Brown's going to see. So it's a long way of saying, yes, the team looks pretty good on paper. Cannahill continues to sort of defy uh, expectations and just get the job done, and nobody gives him any respect, and I think that I think that drives him to play even better. But, yeah, for me, I think, number one, I, I want to see some improvement on defense, and then I feel like uh, I can say, without sounding like a homer, uh, we can play with anybody in the AFC. No, no question. Any given Sunday, I, I'd like us to be there, right there with the Chiefs and the Bills at the end. At the end of the day, your description of Julio sounds a lot like what we're saying here about AJ Green, who's now with the Cardinals after all those years in Cincinnati. Thirty-two years old, coming off an injury, at one point was one of the best receivers in the NFL. He's been great, James. Watching camp. He looks like he still has it, and I think if Julio and you've got AJ Brown, we've got DeAndre Hopkins out here, so I think there's some similarities with uh, with the teams. Last year, obviously, you couldn't go because of COVID. Normally, do you try to go to Nashville to go to some Titan games, depending on your schedule and what you're working on? Definitely, I had a nice streak going there for a while, where I probably made it to one home game like seven or eight years in a row. It's been tough in recent years, not just because of the pandemic, but because I, I can't seem to stop getting jobs uh, that are in Western Canada. <laughs> so it does make it tricky, although this year I have a big fat circle on uh, Titans Rams uh, in L.A. because that's a much, much easier trip 
to jam into a weekend. And, uh, yeah, God willing, I'll, I'll be there and, uh, we'll, we'll win. Do you remember where you were and what was happening during the Music City Miracle? 100%. Uh, it's one of those, you know, it's, it's kind of like when Tyson got knocked out by Buster Douglas. It's just kind of burned into your, into your brain. Uh, I just moved to Los Angeles from New York. I was living with my best friend in an apartment that we had rented but not yet furnished because I was about to start a job on a television show. And it all happened pretty quickly. So we kind of rented it sight unseen, got there, had no furniture because everything was on order. But we did have a TV, and we were sitting watching the game on the floor, pigging out. And when the Music City Miracle happened, we started jumping up and down and had all this extra real estate because there was no furniture. So we were running around in circles, <laughs> like jumping up and chest butting one another, like just, you know, towing the line of some real emotionality. And then we proceeded to watch that replay pretty much on a loop for about two weeks because it was, it was truly the most amazing sports moment for me uh, in, in my 44 and a half years. It was just, uh, it was incredible. So you're a couple of years older than Cliff Kingsbury, the head coach here with the Cardinals, who like you, was born in San Antonio. How familiar with Cliff were you growing up? Because he was a really good high school football player, excellent player at Texas Tech, and now a head coach in the NFL. Yeah, I had certainly heard of Cliff, and I knew he threw for buckets of yards in that uh, air raid offense. And I, was, I remember being a little disappointed that you know we didn't get to see that translate in the NFL because I wanted one of those tech quarterbacks to sort of like prove it's not the system. I thought maybe Cliff would be that guy. But uh, there's a lot of Texas dudes that put up really gaudy numbers uh, in high school because Texas just, I mean, football rules Texas. So, you know, I when I was in high school, we had guys, I remember we had a guy at Baylor. He started at Judson High School, which beat us. And then he went to Baylor and he put up big numbers there. Uh, his name was Gerard Douglas, and we were all just like, yeah, dude, sky's the limit. See him in the NFL. Nope. Just You just never know how it's going to go. But, boy, Texas Texas spits him out. Well, it's interesting because Cliff was on this podcast, and I asked him because he coached Baker Mayfield. He's coaching Kyler Murray now. But Johnny Manziel, who didn't make it in the NFL, but that's not because of the air raid. But now you're seeing Patrick Mahomes, who he coached at Tech, Baker Mayfield, other quarterbacks from that air raid system having success and I asked him hey if you were playing today you know would would you have made it he he didn't really want to answer that but I I <laughs> but I agree with you James I people I think forget how good of a player he was at Texas Tech so yeah and he was a leader and uh you know he, he had intangibles which is obviously a, a big thing that we probably don't talk enough enough about because every year we watch the combine and we and we listen to all the, the pundits, and it's just all these athletically gifted, like, freaks, right? But then you look at the ones that actually stay, have staying power, and succeed in the league, and it's because they have those other things. You know, they know how to lead dudes. They know how to, you know, be grace under pressure. They know how to read defenses. It's all, it's all the stuff that, that, you know, you can't really put a price on. Um, but it's always those guys, you know, that – 
that pop and go on to have great careers. You're also a Spurs fan. Are you as much of a Spurs fan as you are a Titans fan? And who's your favorite Spur of all time? I'll be honest, man. I got really we, we're all spoiled with the Spurs. I mean, playoffs. I don't know. 490 years in a row, five five rings. I can't lie and say that I was as hardcore of a Spurs fan growing up as I was an Oilers fan, because I wasn't. But they were certainly my team, and it's been incredible to watch them win and watch Pop's legacy unfold. And very, very grateful as a sports fan uh, to have a franchise that has won some championships. But Whew, I would probably trade four of those five for one Super Bowl, man. Um, that's the big kahuna, and my first love is always going to be the Oilers and the Titans. Favorite spur of all time? It's really close between Tim and Manu. Um, but I, uh, gosh. You don't have to choose, uh, man. You, you don't, I don't, if you like both the same, look, they, they've, they've been equally important to the spur success. It's true. It's true. I also love David just because he was such a gentleman. Yeah. But um, I, I might have to go Manu. I might have to go oh, Manu. Okay. I, you know, I do NBA for ESPN, and the most intimidating thing, a lot of times as the play-by-play guy, you have a reporter who does the interviews, and you've probably seen these, the interviews in between quarters. And Greg Popovich is never in a good mood to do those interviews. <laughs> And a lot of times, I got to do them if we don't have a reporter, the play-by-play guy. Now, if I'm working with Jeff Van Gundy, I'll ask Jeff, "Hey, can you just go do it, please?" So I don't have because he'll be nice to you. You're a coach, but I'm telling if, yeah. there, if there's a Spurs game in LA, I'm going to say I'm going to ask, "Can we get James Roday to come do the interview with Pop?" <laughs> Dude, I would gladly get my head bitten off by Pop. <laughs> um, it would be an honor and a privilege because you know beyond um, you know his legacy as a coach, which is obviously cemented. I just have so much respect for Pop the man. Um, you know, the stances that he's taken over the years, how outspoken he's been, how he doesn't really care um, what anybody thinks. He just sort of, he knows what feels right in his heart. And he's always sort of stood by his laurels. And, uh, you know, and, and you kind of sort of see the Pop coaching tree has sort of followed that route as well because, you know, because he was such a great mentor. Um but yeah, just what a great guy for sports, period. Look, I know people listening are interested in your takes on the Titans, the NFL, the Spurs, but they also want to hear about your acting career, A Million Little Things, and of course, Psych. Let's start with A Million Little Things. Season four premieres September 22nd. You play Gary Mendez. Anything that uh, we can look forward to with season four that you can, any nugget you can throw out there about season four? Yeah. You know, it's having been on another show that, that kind of, that was, that was blessed with a long run. We're, we're, we're entering that phase where you really got to put up or shut up. Like I feel like it's the season, you know, season three and fours of shows that kind of dictate whether they're going to be able to maintain the level that they're on or they're going to start sliding. So I think we all kind of feel that going into season four and we kind of, we just want to kind of blow it out of the box. So we've got some big stuff coming up that should be fun for the cast, fun for our fans. Um, Anybody who actually watches a million little things knows exactly what to expect as a baseline, which is, you know, a bunch of middle-aged people making terrible decisions and paying dearly for it. 
that'll never change. Uh, it'll be it'll be as hardcore and 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 dramatic and painful as it ever has been. But I do think there's a sense of responsibility of like, hey, let's you know, let's keep the level up, let's let's push hard. Um, it's you like never a franchise quarterback, franchise quarterback, right? I mean, you enter year four. This is the year you got to you got to win. It. This is it, and you never know. I mean, TV is such a fickle industry. You just don't know when, when the end is going to come. So you, you want to make sure that you're L-weighing it no matter what. That way if the plug gets pulled, you know you left it all on the field. And I think we're all collectively of the same mindset, like, you know, let's do this, let's leave it all out there, and then come what may. Psych the TV show ended after a great eight-year run, but you're still doing psych movies. Are you currently filming Psych 3, and how's it going? Uh, Psych 3 is in the can. We had a blast making it earlier this summer. When it will drop is up to the Peacock streaming service, uh, which is a thing that uh, you have to subscribe to, I believe, but offers a, a free subscription uh, where I think you just have to watch lots and lots of advertisements. But... <laughs> Um, you know, my gut is they usually like to drop psych around the holidays just because it's blue sky, feel good. And, uh, people are always together with their families watching TV. So if I had to guess, I would say, you know, November, December for psych three, but don't quote me on that because those decisions get made above my pay grade. Yep. I, I, I certainly uh, understand that. And I got to geek out though, man, because, like, well, another reason I wanted to have you on, because we have mostly athletes and coaches on. We've had Kurt Warner on. Uh, we've had Buda Baker, Cliff Kingsbury, Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, Mina Kimes from ESPN. But, like, when I, along with the Cardinals, came up with the idea for the podcast and trying to get guests from all walks of life to talk sports, I wanted to get you. Because Psych is – it's not only my favorite show, because I still watch episodes from 10 years ago, but, like, my kids – and my kids don't get half the jokes. Could half half the jokes are from my from your era and my era, the eighties. And it's funny because, like, so I was in Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice. I had a, a small role that actually got cut out of the movie. But if you watch the Snyder cut, uh, it's it's in there. And I'm a football announcer, so I'm not doing anything different than I normally do. And it was funny, man, because Zack Snyder is directing, and he's directing our scene, and he's laughing during our scene while we're doing the scene. And I, I figured it out after talking to him after. I think because he's used to, to actors, he's not used to real broadcasters, that it made him laugh. He just got a kick out of it. And the reason I'm bringing that up is I'm, I'm curious, your character, Sean Spencer, how much is James Roday Rodriguez like Sean Spencer? First of all, congratulations for popping your cherry. You're, you're a film star now. It doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't matter if it ended up on the cutting room floor or not. We all know you were there, Dave. You did it. You I have the work. pictures to prove it, James. I still, Lugan, Bill, and I were not supposed to take any pictures, but we did. We Henry Cavill wouldn't do it with us, but we did it when he wasn't watching. You found the truth. You found the truth in that announcer. He had a life. Uh, he left a stamp, and now we all know about it. Uh, as far as Sean goes, uh, you know... I grew up admiring Val Kilmer in a very sort of like hero worship sort of way. And Real Genius for me was probably one of the seminal films that made me think, hey, I might want to be an actor. 
so when I read the script for Psych, I immediately saw it as an opportunity, you know, to pay tribute to Chris Knight in Real Genius. And that's basically what I started doing out of the gate was almost like an homage, almost like a love letter to that character. And then because we, we lasted so long and the show went in so many different directions, um, it's impossible for any character that you play for that long to not start taking on, you know, elements of yourself. That's just sort of, it's inevitable. It's also a lot of fun. I mean, Dulé and I were doing sort of bits that were in jokes for just us and putting them on camera because we could. <laughs> um, it, it, the line becomes a little blurry as it goes along. I, I would say, you know, no human with uh, with any common sense can live their life the way that Sean does. And there was a Peter Pan quality that was always very, very fun to play because we know that in our real lives, we have to think about consequences and other people and uh, responsibility um, and being pragmatic and, and practical. So, you know, being able to play a character that didn't think about any of those things was was so much fun um, and probably something I'll frankly never have as much fun doing again. The show was so well done the way they connected you as a child with your dad, Corbin Burnson, and then fast forwarding to how an incident from your childhood then played out in the whole uh, fake psychic world was just it, it just hilarious and so well done. And it's got such a cult following. You call them psychos, so I guess I'm a psycho. Do you embrace that people connect you with Sean Spencer? Because you've done so many other things, and obviously what you're doing now with a million little things on ABC is completely different from you playing Sean Spencer. I love it, man. That job changed my life. Uh, it's also a group of people that that I love deeply that will be in my life forever. Uh, we were we really did become a family. It's kind of a it's a cliche when you hear that about any job, but I think the the truest version of that is when you kind of least expect it and lightning is in a bottle and planets align and something happens and you just never saw it coming. And that's exactly what psych was. And, and for eight seasons, you know, we were, we were living the dream. Um, you know, we were on a fledgling network that was still kind of trying to find an identity. And as a result, we got a really long leash and an opportunity, uh, to become what we became. And by today's television standards, that is so rare. So, kind of everything had to fall into place. And as a result, you know, if psych ends up being, you know, the, the job that defines me, hell yeah, I'll take that. Uh, it was a pleasure. It remains such a pleasure and a privilege to play that role. And we have the most unbelievable fans, of which you are one, uh, that continue to have an appetite for this silliness. And, and we're happy to keep delivering it as long as we can. Do you have a favorite episode? I can only imagine you've been asked that ad nauseum. You know, I have, but I, it kind of changes. I love different episodes for different reasons. Um, you know, I'll bring up Tuesday the 17th because not only was it spoofing one of my favorite genres of movies, which are slasher films from the 80s, uh, it was also the first time I ever stepped behind a camera. It was my directing debut. Everybody was so incredible. Everybody stepped up, brought their A-game. Uh, it was an experience that I will never forget for as long as I live. 
and uh, the fact that it's kind of become a cult classic within a cult show, uh, I think is a, a testament to what we were able to accomplish on Psych. So that's my answer for today. Gotcha, man. No, that's a great one. Um, I want to ask you about working with Corbin Burnson because one of the best sports movies of all time is Major League. And he plays Roger Dorn, who's the snobbish uh, you know, baseball player who used to be great and was a high-priced guy, but now has fallen in love with the life. What's Corbin like? Did, I, I assume you had seen Major League prior to working with him. What was it like to work with him on Psych? I'd only seen Major League about 400 times. <laughs> Welcome to the club, man. <laughs> yeah. So I was I, I was quoting it left and right, and you realize he, he probably gets that a lot too. But it was still, it was a great ice-breaking kind of point for us, and we could bond over it immediately because, you know, he's, he, he thinks very fondly of, of Major League as well. He had a good experience. He and Berenger were really good buddies back then. And so, uh, you know, Corbin is... He's a really interesting cat, man. Like, you got to remember, like, he was sort of, like, at the top of the mountain in the 80s. Like, he was people's sexiest man alive at one point um, <laughs> when he was on L.A. Law. And, you know, like I said, it's a really fickle industry. Success can be really fleeting here today, gone tomorrow. But what you have in Corbin Bernstein is a guy who just stuck with it, man. Like, you know, he's the Udonis Haslam of, of Hollywood, right? He just... He kept his he kept his nose down and he just keeps working and working and working and sometimes it's good stuff, sometimes it's just work. But he always knew that work begets work, and that's that's how you stay in the game. So he, he's a great presence to have on any film set because of the perspective he can provide and the reminder that hey, like all of this could be gone in a in a flash. So a make sure you appreciate it, but also you know don't be an asshole. Um, and he's also, you know, he's kind of a, he's kind of a hippie and, and, uh, he's a really spiritual dude. He's a really interesting guy to sit down and have dinner with, um, cause he can go all sorts of places and talk about all kinds of stuff. And, uh, yeah, man, he was a good TV dad for sure. Yeah. Well, you guys had, have still have great chemistry in the movies, but uh, on the show, just uh, awesome chemistry. You mentioned earlier Val Kilmer, your love for Val Kilmer. I just watched... The other night, uh, the documentary Val, which is really good. You talk about how things can change in a heartbeat, not just for Val's career, but for his life and what he's dealing with now, basically having to uh, to speak um, after a tracheotomy. You can't really understand him. And I, I assume you've already seen the documentary. Um, it, of all the eight, because you had Val Kilmer on, I mean, Judd, John Cena is not an 80s guy, but you had Judd Nelson, you have all these 80s movie stars on psych as special guests who is the coolest and then tell me if, if it if it wasn't val what was it like meeting val kilmer when he was on psych well I'll start with val because yes the documentary is, i would i would recommend it to anybody whether you're a val kilmer fan or not just because the just the sheer volume of archival footage that he managed to hold on to over the last 30 some odd years is so fascinating uh because you realize like there were no iPhones back then. Like this young, handsome dude was walking around with like an old school VHS camcorder, like getting like with tapes, like getting all this incredible stuff um, and then holding on to it for all these years. So, 
it's a real treat for that reason alone. It is heartbreaking, but I do think it's it sort of sheds some light on a very complicated artist that we've heard a whole lot of stuff about, some good, some bad. Um, and you just sort of see a portrait of an artist who's never quite been at peace. And I thought it was really well done, and I was really happy to see the love uh, and reverence that his children have for him because it's like no matter what, or, or if he can ever sort of be at peace with his career or what happened to his brother, it's like he's got he's got those two children that he is his whole world. And it was really nice to see them love him back so hard. Uh, so that was sort of the aspirational element of it. Meeting Val was a dream come true. Uh, you know, they say never meet your heroes. I'd heard all the stories. It was the we shot two things in the entire run of Psych. Uh, in Los Angeles. Everything else we shot was in Vancouver. But twice we shot in L.A. The first time was a little piece with uh, one of my best friends, Jimmy Simpson, who played Mary Lightly uh, on a video that he had left for us in the third Yang episode. We shot that in L.A. And then Val. Val was the last thing we shot after the series was wrapped his little piece we did in Los Angeles and he could not have been more of a prince. Like, yes, he was aware that we adored him. Yes. He was aware that we referenced him more than any other human being over the run of psych, but I doubt he had ever seen an episode and he did not have to come and do that, but he did. And he was a sweetheart and he made himself available and we all just kind of talked and hung out with him for, you know, half a day. I have nothing but positive things to say. Uh, about Val. It was a wonderful experience. And as far as all of the uh, the 80s callbacks that we did, which at one point kind of became, you know, the crutch of the show, like who can we get on next? Uh, I would say, you know, my my favorite is probably Ali Sheedy because we've become very good friends and she's a kook and she's awesome. And that character, you know, became sort of seminal for our show. Um, but Ralph Macchio was also a hell of a guy and a lot of fun to hang out with. And Billy Zabka, uh, to keep it on topic, is also a hell of a guy and a lot of fun to hang out with. The two guys uh, from Karate Kid and now... Yeah, Cobra Kai. And Cobra Kai. Um, John Cena, I mentioned earlier that he was on one of the shows. And before we get you out of here, I just want to ask you on your connection to wrestling. How big of a wrestling fan you are. Should we be giving wrestling more love as a sport, or does it have its own category in James Rode Rodriguez's opinion? You know, I was a wrestling nut as a kid, and then it kind of was like not as cool to be a wrestling fan. Um, you know, when I hit high school, so I kind of kind of drifted away from it, but then found it again on Psych because we shared a network with with Raw and SmackDown back then. Uh, on USA. So we would do these cross promotional uh, bits and, and promos with some of the talent. And I started watching it again as like a 30 year old man <laughs> and remembering why I used to dig it so much. And I sort of slowly came back out of the closet and then just sort of said, screw it. Uh, I'll be an adult who can get down with some WWE. Uh, I don't know they themselves would necessarily call it a sport. Like it, 
sports entertainment is the is the term they came up with, but for me, it's always been theater. It's just been, it's so theatrical. It's you know, it's scripted. You have good versus evil and everything in between. Um, you know, for, for for the swath of Americans who who don't think they would like going into a dark theater and watching something like Hamilton, like I got news, you're watching it every Monday and every Friday on Raw and SmackDown. Like, you're a theater fan, you just don't realize. Because <laughs> that's what wrestling is, and that's what that's what it drops into our homes uh, every week and, and on their pay-per-views. James, this has been great, man. Thanks so much for your time. Appreciate you taking us back, talking about Psych, talking about a million little things, and then, of course, talking NFL football, your love for the Titans, and uh, hopefully uh, Titans and Cardinals. Maybe they'll play week one, and they'll play – in the final game of the season. It would be it would be incredible. I would take that bet in a heartbeat. Let's go tighten up. Also, Cena is my boy. Go see all of his 29 movies. Another really good guy. Uh, thanks for the time. Thanks for the interest. And uh, let's just hope everybody stays healthy. James, thanks again, man. Bye, Dave. Man, Roday knows his stuff. He is dialed in on the Titans and the NFL. Interesting, too, that when he was pressed to name his favorite San Antonio Spur, that he picked Manu Ginobili. If you're a Suns fan listening to this right now, I know it probably makes your skin crawl, but Ginobili was a great, great player. And hearing Rode's story about sitting in an apartment in Los Angeles with no furniture and running around going crazy, celebrating the Music City Miracle, not surprising that somebody that's that passionate about his team, the Tennessee Titans, would remember exactly where he was when that iconic moment went down. It was great to hear Roday talk about Psych and how he embraces that everybody thinks he's Sean Spencer and also how similar they are. Uh, Psych being one of my favorite TV shows of all time is cool to hear about his favorite episode and what it was like to have Corbin Burnson, who of course was Roger Dorn in Major League, as his TV dad. Also, his love for Val Kilmer and how he got to finally meet his childhood hero on the set of Psych. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Dave Pash Podcast. Don't forget the Cardinals and Titans on Sunday. We'll have another podcast for you next week. You can follow along on Twitter, at PashPod. We'll update you on upcoming guests and also take a look back at previous guests like Hall of Famer Kurt Warner, Cardinals head coach Cliff Kingsbury, and ESPN's Mina Kimes, Steve Levy, and Brian Greasy. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals and Gila River Hotels and Casinos. Thanks once again for listening to the Dave Pash Podcast.